We are making this audio available, but the recording is not very good. Something with the recorder went wrong, and we are working towards a permanent solution to capture the audio more adequately for future studies. So elders in the life of the church today, uh, we have been looking at the church, obviously, as we every week. Local churches are gatherings of saints who gather regularly, definably, we said dependently. The Spirit makes us dependent on one another. And ideally, under the care of multiple elders, as we saw this past week. And I just want to call you once again to pray with me that the Lord would raise up multiple elders to shepherd us here. That in time, elders uh, would work together to care for our souls. You know, elders need other elders to shepherd their own souls. Uh, who is the pastor of the elders? Well, the answer is other elders. And, uh, that's what we see in Acts 20:28. 20, Take heed to yourself. Actually, it's to yourselves, he says to the elders, and to the flock. So elders have the responsibility to watch over other elders as well as to watch over the flock and to care for one another spiritually. And so pray that the Lord will do that for us here. Today we need to examine two other questions about elders. The first is, what other responsibilities that elders bear to the church? And the second question is, what are the responsibilities the church bears to the elders? So you remember that membership triangle? And there was two different directions between elders and members of the congregation. Uh, so that's essentially what we are looking at today. So let's see where this goes. There we go. So we'll start off with uh, what do elders do in the church? What are their responsibilities? What is the ministry of elders in the church? And we have turned to 1 Peter 5. We'll get there in one second. Same as last week. I put a lot of scripture on the board. You're welcome to follow along in your Bibles. You can follow along on the board. I think I put just about all the scripture references in the notes. So you can find them either now or later. Um, but I'm really, really hoping that you will see them in the scriptures. Maybe that means on the board now in your Bible later, or maybe that means in your Bible now. It's totally up to you. Um, I'm hoping that you can see them right in your copy of the scripture. So what do elders do in the church? What does Christ ask them with? Well, the first thing that we find in the scriptures is that elders are called upon by Christ to manage the affairs of the church. They're overseers. And so there is a sense in which elders oversee the spiritual well-being of every member under their care. We see that in a passage like Acts 15.36. After some days, Paul says to Barnabas, let's return and remember the word is oversee. Same word as the word overseer in 1 Timothy. Let's return and oversee the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord. What do they mean by oversee? Well, let's see how they're doing. Let's care for them spiritually. Let's watch over them. So in this passage, <coughs> elders, or Paul at least, is overseeing the brothers. He's focused on the individual Christians. And yet look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2. 1 Peter 5 and verse 2. It's a little bit different here. 1 Peter 5 is on page 590, if that's helpful. Yeah, Bibles that I've been distributing. 1 Peter 5, verse 2 says this the elders have the responsibility to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. To shepherd the flock, exercising oversight over the flock as a whole. So, in other words, in Acts 15, Paul is concerned about every individual saint. The brothers in first Peter chapter 5 he says we have the responsibility elders have the responsibility to oversee the flock as a whole and we see this throughout the New Testament we see in Acts 20 28 pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for not just the individual souls of the saints but to care for the church as a whole the church of God which he has purchased with the blood of his own son and this is why Titus chapter 1 and verse 7 says this, An overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. What is a steward? A steward is someone who oversees the operations of a household while the head of the household is absent. So we saw in Acts 20, 28 that the church belongs to God. He has obtained it with the blood of his own son. But 
he has placed elders or stewards over the house of God, over the flock, to care for them. And so elders are tasked with overseeing the flock, and they stand in God's stead to manage the church and its affairs. They operate as overseers under Christ, who is the chief shepherd, the head of the body. And this seems to take two primary forms in the New Testament. The first is that we see that elders oversee, they manage, they take care of the teaching of the church. You can think about Acts chapter 15, when there was the dispute over circumcision amongst the Gentiles. What was the course of action that was taken? Well, the apostles gathered together with the elders of the church, it says. And they worked through the question, they discussed the matter in light of Scripture together. The apostles and elders rendered a verdict that the rest of the church then endorsed. Titus chapter 1 verse 9 tells us that elders, I think these ones are up here, let's see here. Uh, no, they're not. But Titus chapter 1 verse 9 tells us that as elders must be sound in the faith and able to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict. And so the way that elders manage the teaching of the church is by holding up their Bibles. In other words, it's not elders who have some kind of authority in themselves. Well, this is what I believe, so this is what goes in the church. Instead, the elders oversee the, the teaching, oversee the teaching of the church by holding up their Bibles and saying, "This is what the Lord says." They are tasked with teaching the Word and overseeing the teaching in the church. So that means a number of things. I think it, I think it means that they are tasked uniquely with leading the public worship and shaping that according to the Scriptures. They take the leadership in teaching the gathered believers the scriptures. They might monitor what others are teaching in the church, such as in Sunday school classes, and compare that with scriptures to make sure that everyone is on track. They have the responsibility to publicly refute false teaching with the scriptures. They have the responsibility to oversee those who are sent out to teach and preach on the church's behalf, to ensure that they're going out to teach what God says in the scriptures. And elders are uniquely qualified to fulfill this role because to be an elder, you've got to be sound in the faith and you've got to be able to teach the scriptures. And so some of, some of, sometimes it's difficult for us to think about these kinds of things in the scripture because perhaps you've run into an elder who wasn't really qualified to be an elder. And those elders tend to make Christ's gift to the body seems less than desirable at times. But when you have a man who truly is sound in the faith, who truly is able to teach, and who truly is qualified according to the scriptures, this is the responsibility that they bear to oversee the teaching in the church. Secondly, I think there's evidence in the New Testament that was direct the distribution of funds in the church. Not that they have their hands in the money pot. I think it's very healthy for elders not to ever touch a single dollar. What do, we, what, what, do, what do I mean by this? The second matter over which elders seem to bear responsibility in the church is by overseeing the distribution of funds in the church. For example, Acts chapter 4, Barnabas sells his piece of property, and he brings the funds, the proceeds, and he lays them at the feet of the apostles. We see a similar thing in Acts chapter 6. The apostles then have the funds that have been brought and it is their responsibility to distribute those funds to meet the needs of the widows. And that's, of course, where the conflict arose. The Greek widows were saying, look, you guys are feeding all the Jewish widows, and we're kind of getting left out here. And that's when they appoint the deacons. But you remember we've seen from Ephesians chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 4 that in the church today there are no apostles, but the elders have filled that role in the continuing church. So here we've got the elders, or the apostles, receiving the funds and distributing them. And in Acts chapter 11, verse 30, we see that the Gentile believers have made a collection for the Jewish believers. And they have brought that collection to Jerusalem to meet the needs of the Jewish believers. And where do they deposit that for distribution? They deposit it with the elders of the church, and then the elders turn around and distribute that to the saints. So, once again, elders operate in this area by wielding their Bibles. See, a church's budget, where they decide to spend their money, actually says something about what that church thinks is important. If the church spends all of their money 
on decorating the front of the church building. That says something about what they think is important. If the church spends a sizable portion of their budget supporting missionaries who are taking the gospel overseas, that says something about what that church thinks is important. The question is, do we get to decide what's important in the church and where we spend our money? Or does the head of the church get to decide that? Well, Christ himself has certain priorities for what we do with the funds that come in. And who is in the position to be able to teach the church? This is what Jesus said. And then for the church to respond and say, yeah, we're seeing that in our Bibles. Let's spend our money there. That's Christ's own priorities for us. And the answer to that is that the elders have the responsibility to lead the church in distributing the funds where they ought to be distributed. Now, of course, this is not autocratic. This is not done on their own. Instead, it's a matter of, let me show you what Christ says the priority is. And the church says, yes, that is. We see that. Let's vote and send our money to missionaries um, in this circumstance. Or, you know, I think one thing that we probably have missed uh, in our churches today is that saints care for one another. And oftentimes that takes the form of material provisions. And so the church is in a place when a brother loses a job to be able to say, we want to help out for a month or two, brother, until the Lord provides you another, another job. Who's in the place to assess that, to be able to recommend? You know, some of these kinds of things probably shouldn't be made especially public. We gave $5,000 to Brother Joe last week. But if you've got trusted men who are in a position to be able to say, Brother Joe, we see there's three of us here, we're looking at your need, we want to give you from the church $5,000, and all that the church sees is a budget, budget line item that says $5,000 given to a brother in need. At that point, they're able to do that, and they hopefully can do that with the trust of the congregation. Um, that these are men who are qualified to uh, disperse to some degree the funding that God gives to the church according to Christ's own priorities. And so no man should serve in the office of elder whose integrity in this matter is even remotely questionable. No man should continue in this office if he betrays the congregation's trust of recommending or even privately distributing funds that do not align with Christ's priorities. And that's why I think you can see why it's helpful to have deacons who help to oversee the actual funds of the thing. The elder's not signing the checks. He's saying to the deacons, this is what the elders, this is what the church has approved as to where we distribute funds, and the deacon is actually the one doing that, so that Nobody actually has his hands in the money bottle by himself. That can be a very dangerous thing. But the elders, I think the, the primary thing here is the question of what are Christ's priorities for where we distribute the funds. And the elders have the responsibility to teach that to the congregation. And the congregation has the responsibility to say, that's right. Well, no, that's not right. And let's get behind that. And that's Secondly, elders have the responsibility to shepherd the flock. Acts 20, 28. Uh, on page 542, if that's helpful, the scripture says that elders, Paul exhorts them to pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock, over which or in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood or with the blood of his own on how that should be translated. There is a question about that. And 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Elders are shepherds. And shepherds have the responsibility to care for the flock. And that means watching for the souls watching over the souls under their care. And so every follower of Jesus Christ who wishes to experience Christ's own ministry to him submits himself to the ministry of elders who minister in Christ's stead under Christ's own authority in the church. What does this look like? This means that elders regularly inquire into the spiritual well-being of those under it means they watch for straying sheep, somebody who hasn't been in church for the last three weeks, and gives them a phone call. Hey, what's going on? Can I help? What, what, what's going on here? Are you, are you suffering? Are you in need? Are you away from the Lord? 
It means remaining alert for those sheep who are experiencing pain and temptation and bringing to them the aid that they need from the scripture. It means praying for each of the members by name. It means helping members to apply biblically, biblical principles to specific choices they are making. It can be very helpful in the midst of a choice to say to a trusted elder, what does God have to say about this choice that I'm making? Can you help me find some passages of Scripture that might apply here? It means seeking to resolve conflicts in the church. It means admonishing unruly members who want to have the preeminence. It means encouraging those who are fainting, by the way. It means helping those who are weak in bed. It means leading in matters of church discipline. It means staying alert for false doctrine. It means overseeing the spiritual well-being of the flock. Whatever it takes to shepherd them towards Christ, this is the responsibility of elders. And apparently then, the church needs the ministry of elders, or the Spirit of God would not have put the local church together in the way that he has, with elders as shepherds of their flocks. Third, elders have the responsibility to lead the congregation in prayer. You can look at Acts chapter 6, verse 4 which is on page, page 533. On the way there, I'll read you James 5.14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him. So there you have elders who are praying for someone in the congregation. But Acts chapter 6, verse 4 says, the apostles say, we will devote ourselves to prayer, and to the ministry of the word. What are they praying for? Well, who are they ministering the word to? Ministering the word to the congregation. So I think it's only natural that we understand that they're devoting themselves to prayer is devoting themselves to pray for those to whom they are ministering the word. I think there's three areas here in elders leading in prayer. First of all, elders pray for the individuals and the members of the body. This is why elders want some measure of access to our lives, so that they can pray knowledgeably for the needs that we have. Imagine having a group of men who are concerned for your spiritual well-being, and who are commissioned by Christ to spend large amounts of time each week taking your burdens to the Lord alone. Every Christian ought to have the assurance and confidence that the shepherds Christ has placed over them are actually laboring in prayer for them. Elders pray for the individuals in the body. Elders lead the congregation in prayer. They have the responsibility to shape times of corporate prayer and to model in their own prayer, prioritizing, petitioning God for matters that are agreeable to His will and that are His own priorities. Think of the Lord's Prayer. How many of us actually take time in our daily prayers to pray, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come? Or do we just rush right ahead to give us to stay our daily bread? What helps to reform and reshape our own prayer lives? It is men who stand up in front of the church and pray for hallowed be your name, and your kingdom come and your will be done. And in that way, they lead the congregation in prioritizing in prayer those things that Christ has taught us to prioritize. And thirdly, elders lead the congregation in their spirit of dependence upon God. The elders should be the first to call the congregation to pray in a time of need. They should model hard work done, but in dependence upon the Lord in prayer. This is the ministry that elders bear towards the church in prayer. Fourth, elders have the responsibility to set the example in the Christian walk. And you can turn again to page 590, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3. There's four verses that I'll call to your attention here. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3 is the clearest. Scripture says that elders have the responsibility to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6 says that they must not be a recent convert. Why not? 
As Timothy 4.12 says, it's because they must be an example. Titus chapter 1, verse 7, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. Why? Because he has the responsibility to be an example to the flock. And Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. The eyes of the saints are supposed to be upon the way of life of the elders, the leaders. And imitate their faith. So the elder has the responsibility to set the pace spiritually. This is actually the first of the points at which the qualifications for elders and deacons differ. If you compare the qualifications for elders and deacons, they actually overlap just about in every way except for two things. One of them is the elder cannot be a new convert. In other words, he has to be an exemplary mature Christian. The deacon, not necessarily so, but elders must. The reason for that is because they must serve as examples. And in fact, the majority of the qualifications for an elder, they're actually just marks of Christian maturity. In other words, the elder is supposed to be the one who is the example, and he's supposed to be setting the example in these qualifications because that's what every Christian is supposed to be striving to be. So could we say then that every Christian is an elder in training, except for the maleness the need, and the ability to teach? Should not every Christian aspire to follow the example of faithful elders in following Christ? The elders can say, follow me as I follow Christ. So if you have an elder in your local church who is not exemplary, they're not qualified to be an elder. And they ought to either step down or you ought to leave that church and find a faithful elder who you can follow and have a confidence that they will lead you to Christ. And fifth, elders have the responsibility to teach the word. Acts chapter 6, verse 4. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. An overseer must be above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. Titus 1, 9. He must hold firm the trustworthy word as he has been taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict. The elder has the responsibility to teach the word. It is through the ministry of the word of Christ that Christ rules over his congregation. How does Christ exercise his rule in the church? Answer, through the teaching of his word. And that's why elders are called to rule over the church, not because they're special, but because they're the ones who devote themselves to the word and they're in the best position to say, this is what Christ would have us do. The congregation has the responsibility to say, yes, we see that in our Bible, let's do it. To respond to that. So Christ holds the flock accountable for the words spoken to them through the elders that he has set over them. TV preachers can be helpful, so can YouTube sermons, but you won't give account to Christ on that final day what you did with every YouTube sermon that's out there. You will give account to Christ for how you have responded to the teaching of elders in your local church. So imagine, once again, having a group in a church, a group of men whose life's mission is to study the scriptures and teach it to you week by week. Men who you have come to trust because they handle the scriptures well. What a blessing that would be to a church. So these are the elders' responsibilities in the church and some word verses that I did not put up there that we went through. To manage the church's affairs, to shepherd the flock, to lead in prayer, to set the example, and to teach the word. What are a church's responsibilities toward elders? And there are two general categories that I can find in the New Testament. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is page 574. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And my first question for you as we read these verses is, are these verses talking about elders? We ask you, brothers, 
to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem you very highly in love because of their work. Is that talking about elders? It's not the Lord Shepherd, an overseer, and elder are not there. And yet, look at what it says about them. It says that they labor among you. You can compare 1 Timothy 5.17, which we'll go to in just a little bit, which says, same word, that elders labor among you in the work. You can look at the word in 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, they labor among you and they are they admonish you. That's the role of church leaders in teaching and preaching in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. So elders who teach the word have the responsibility to admonish you, and these people in 1 Thessalonians 5, they have the responsibility to do the same. And it says that they are over you in the Lord. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, says that elders are over the church. They rule over the church. And so, my contention is that 1 Timothy, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13, these verses are actually speaking to us about elders. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13 teaches us something about how we are to respond to elders. And the question is, what response must congregations give to elders? And the answer that is given to us here is that we are to know them. We ask you, brothers, the King James says, to know those who labor among you. The ESV says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. The word in the Greek text is actually to know. It's the same word that you see all over the New Testament for to know. The question is, does it simply mean to know facts? Or, in this case, are we to know a person? So we know people in different ways than we know facts. I know 2 plus 2 equals 4. But if I say that I know Kim, that's completely different than knowing 2 plus 2 equals 4. The question is, what does the Spirit of God mean when he says we are to know them? First, uh, sorry, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 uses the same word. And it might be helpful just to keep your hand in 1 Thessalonians 5 and look at Ephesians 1.18. Ephesians 1.18, Paul is praying here, and he says, I pray that the Spirit of God might go to work, and that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Question, do Christians know the hope to which God has called them? Do we know we're going to heaven? Do we know we're going to be glorified? Do we know we're going to see the face of our Savior? We know these things. And yet Paul's praying that they would know them. That they would come to recognize the weight and significance of that. Christians know these things, but we really don't feel the weight of it sometimes, right? We don't really, we don't really give the value to these things that we ought to. And that, I think, is what the Apostle Paul is trying to say to us in 1 Thessalonians 5. He's not just saying, get to know these guys and find out what their favorite flavor of ice cream is. He's saying, give weight to, come to really know the significance of them in your midst. How important it is that Christ has placed them among you. Uh, it can mean, the word can actually mean in many different contexts to, know, to recognize the significance of our kingdom conduct. And we've also got in 1 Thessalonians 5 a definition of what it means to know. We ask you, brothers, to know those who labor among you, and to, verse 13, to esteem them very highly in love for their works. So what does it mean to know them? It means to recognize them as significant and weighty. It means to give them the respect and honor that they is what the scripture says. And what's the basis for that? Is it because elders are just really special people? They just deserve this. On what basis do we give the elders this honor and respect? And the answer is, for their work's sake. So an elder might not be especially physically attractive. He might not be socially intriguing. He might not be athletically able. He might not even possess a commanding presence and dignity. Like a king might. We would give honor to a king because his very presence and dignity come. That's not the basis on which we give elders honor and respect in the church. 
We know them and we esteem them highly in love because of their works. So what is an elder's work? It is to stand in the church as Christ understood, as shepherds under Christ. So how would we respond to Christ's own leadership over our church? And the scripture says, they are the under-shepherds functioning as Christ's stand in the church. They teach His Word, they model His care, they shepherd the flock, they pray for you just as Christ stands in heaven at the right hand of God praying for us. So how should we respond to them in view of what they do? Not in view of what they are, but in view of what they do. And the answer is we respond to them with esteeming them highly in love because of their works of sin. And let's look briefly here at 1 Timothy chapter 5. To see this as well. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. We'll just read the verse here. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, this verse right here. Depending on how you interpret it, depends on whether you're a Presbyterian or a Baptist or a brother. Okay? There's a lot of question about what exactly this verse means, and I've thought a lot and a lot and a lot and a lot about it, trying to actually understand it, because frankly, the way that the verse reads, I think you'll see this as we go through, it actually doesn't make sense as we go through it. So we've got to look at it very carefully and see if we can understand it. Okay, so let's let's start at verse 17. Let the elders who rule well. Okay, so there's a system called Presbyterianism that comes along and says, Oh, there's elders who rule. And so we've got a category of elders called ruling elders in Presbyterianism. And then let's keep reading. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Oh, so we've got another category of elders, which do what? They are the teaching elders. They labor in the word of teaching. This is called Presbyterianism. In Presbyterianism, there's multiple elders, and some of them just sit in the elder boardroom and they just make decisions. That's all they do. And some of them stand up in the pulpit and they preach. And actually, there's very little overlap between the two. There's some elders then who don't actually teach the word. And there's some elders who teach the word, but they don't really rule over the church. They don't manage the affairs of the flock. So this is Presbyterianism. Does this actually work based on what the verse is saying? Well, let's look at the verse a little bit more closely. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So the ruling elders, look at it, let the elders who rule well must be considered worthy of double honor. What is the double honor? Well, we've already seen that there's a certain honor and respect that an elder is due from 1 Thessalonians 5. So that's single honor. What's the double honor? Well, look at the next verse. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So what is the double honor? Well, one is respect, and the other is, as I've got up here, financial support. So Presbyterianism actually pays all of their elders, whether they sit in the elder boardroom, or whether they preach the word. Problem is, that's not going to fit into this verse, and here's why. Because if the ruling elders are worthy of double honor, then it says the teaching elders are especially worthy of double honor. Now, you're either worthy or you're not. Okay? You can't have some people who, yeah, they're, they're just sort of worthy, and these guys are especially worthy. And there's another problem with this system, and that is this. Verse 18 says that the laborer deserves financial support. So laborer deserves financial support. These guys labor, according to the verse. It doesn't mean the other guys don't. But Paul calls our attention to the fact that the teaching elders labor. And so that's why they're worthy of financial support. Do ruling elders labor? Well, they do perform ministry, but the verse doesn't say that. Instead, it says the teaching elders are the ones who labor. So, do they deserve double honor? And yet that's exactly what the verse says. The elders who do well are to be considered worthy of double honor. 
So you can see that Presbyterianism's distinction actually doesn't hold up in the verse. The way that so what exactly is this saying? Well, let's just look at a couple of things here that might relieve some difficulty for us, okay? Let's look at that phrase, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Presbyterianism says there's some elders who rule well, and there's some that don't rule, they teach, okay? The question is, does that distinction hold up? If you turn back two pages in your Bible and look at the qualifications for elder, 1 Timothy chapter 3, let's look at verse 4. Okay, I'll just read it literally the way the Greek reads. The elder must rule his own household well. Same word as in 5.17. He must rule his household well. Why? He must do it with all dignity. He must keep his children submissive. For if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So question, if an elder is not ruling well, is he qualified to lead the church? And the answer is no. So question for you, are there ruling elders who rule well? And are there elders who don't rule? No, every elder must rule well. See that? Every elder, apparently this phrase could be used to describe every single elder that exists in churches. So we can't say, well, there's a category of ruling elder because every elder's got to rule well. So 1 Timothy 3 says all elders must be, must rule well, be qualified. So that means 1 Timothy 5.17a, let the elders who rule well, it seems like that's got to be referring to all elders. Okay, so let's just think about what that means. Let the elders who rule well, okay, if that's all elders, then they've all got to be counted worthy of double honor. That's what it says. So that's why Presbyterianism pays all their elders. Question is, is that what the Bible says? The fact is, as we've already seen, that some elders don't labor in the word of doctrine. In other words, not every elder is laboring in the word and doctrine. Not every elder stands up and preaches every Sunday. There are some elders who don't labor in the word and doctrine. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have to say, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So what that means is this. 1 Timothy 5.17 can't be referring to all elders. When it says the elders who rule well should be paid as well as honored, it can't be referring to all elders. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, A has got to be referring to a subset of elders, a smaller group. Now let me put one more thing in front of you, and I think this will make sense now. Sorry, this is a little bit deep, but I want you to see that the scriptures actually validate what we are used to. Okay? That's what we're going to find. Second thing I want you to look at is 1 First Timothy 5.17, and the word especially, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and teaching. Okay, when we use the word especially, we're talking about a big group, and then we've got a smaller subset that we really want to focus on, especially these guys. Okay, so we might say this, we might say, I like to watch soccer players play, especially the defensive players. So here's all the soccer players, I like to watch them all, but I like to watch especially the defensive players. Now, this word especially here can mean especially. This Greek word can also mean that is. Okay? So let's, let's substitute that in with our soccer player. I like to watch soccer players, that is the defensive players. In that case, soccer players equals defensive players. So the defense equals the soccer players. Let's just try that one out in 1 Timothy 5.17 and see if that makes sense. Okay? Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. That is, the elders who labor in teaching and preaching. Does that make a little more sense at this point? Which elders are ruling well who should be considered worthy of double honor? The ones who labor in teaching and preaching. Not teaching versus ruling elders, but let's just talk about elders who rule well, the ones who labor in teaching and preaching. Pay them because the labor is worthy of his so let's just work down through the verse once more and see if this is see this will First Timothy five seventeen then is saying the elders who rule well and that's not all of them. All of them must rule well, but First Timothy five seventeen isn't talking about all elders. Instead, it's talking about a subset: those who labor in the word of teaching, and those elders are worthy of double honor. 
Now, First Timothy chapter, First Thessalonians chapter five, verse twelve said that the elders who rule well. Why can we add who rule well? Because all elders rule well. So we're talking about the elders in First Thessalonians five twelve. They're ruling well. Regardless of whether they labor in the word and teaching or not, we are to esteem them highly in love for their work's sake. So they are worthy of honor, single honor. So 1 Thessalonians 5.12 is talking about all elders. They're all worthy of single honor. 1 Timothy 5.17 is saying vocational elders who labor in the word and doctrine are worthy of double honor. Why? Because a laborer is worthy of his wages. And so this is why we have some elders who are what are called lay elders. They work a secular job, and they devote a portion of their time to shepherding the flock, and even to teaching. And this is why we have what's called vocational elders. This is what we typically think of as pastors. And the congregation sets them aside from secular employment so that they can labor, so that they can devote themselves to the word of teaching. And the church is benefited by that. So here's some principles from 1 Timothy 5.17. Presbyterian system is wrong. The distinction in 1 Timothy 5.17 is not between ruling and teaching elders. Because the word is the elders who rule well, that is, those who teach and preach, labor in it. So some elders then labor and in the word and teach vocationally. That's the distinction. 1 Timothy 5.17 is talking about vocational elders. This is their job, we could say. So that means the brethren system is wrong because 1 Timothy draws a distinction between vocational and lay elders. Brethren say, there's no elders that we're going to pay. Nobody devotes themselves to the word. We just pick a different elder and he works a secular job and each week somebody else comes with a different word from the word. Nothing necessarily wrong with that except that 1 Timothy 5.17 says, there are elders who are worthy of double honor and labor and teaching and preaching. So to say, no, we can't have those. That would be a violation of scripture. To say that category doesn't exist because it actually does exist right here. This category. Uh, and so vocational elders then should receive double honor. And that category of vocational elders is a, is a smaller subset of the larger group of all elders who do deserve, because of their work, safety on Okay? Sorry, that's a little bit deep. If you want an article written on that, I've written a little article. But hopefully that makes the point. You know, if you go into Presbyterian Church and you open up this verse, they'll tell you what they think it means. But it actually doesn't stand up in my judgment, according to what the scripture says, particularly with the qualification for all. So let's go through the final point here then. Uh, we've gone through uh, all elders should be given honor and respect. And let's turn now to Hebrews 13 as we finish up. This is page 586. 586. There are two verses here we will look at. Let's look at verse 7. First, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. What does it mean to remember your leaders? Can you think about them a lot during the week? Well, obviously, there's some reason. If he's got to say remember, there's some reason that we might forget them, right? So if you're seeing them every Sunday, does that mean that during the week? I don't think that's probably what he's saying. I don't think elders are supposed to be that big in your mind. You're thinking about them every day. In what circumstances then might we forget our leaders? Well, let's say that you leave one church and you go to another church. Does it mean keep remembering those ones back there? No, because now you've got a new set of leaders that you're supposed to remember. I think the most likely scenario here is that your leaders have died. You've had a leader who's led you, and he's passed away. But his legacy lives on, or it should. We should remember them and imitate their faith because we saw the outcome of their faith. In other words, we watched it all the way to the end. They passed away, and now we have the responsibility to remember them. Remember the pattern that they set for you and imitate their faith. Follow their faith. So, we have the responsibility to submit ourselves to the example of elders. Uh, let me just see here. The Christian life is not, live, not to be lived as each person deems best. Christianity is not an individual sport. 
Instead, there are leaders, and they speak God's word to you, and then they show you how to live it, how they live it out. And you're accountable for the teaching, but you're also accountable to imitate their lifestyle. This is a command from Christ to imitate their faith. And so to deliberately set that aside would be to disregard the command of Christ. Instead, we have the responsibility to imitate their faith as they set the pace as to what it looks like to live as a Christian. And of course, that does not translate down into clothing choices and food that you eat on Tuesday night around your dinner table. This is following that in their faith, not in every aspect of their lifestyle. Hopefully, we don't all end up looking at as you pastor at churches. And secondly, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. What leaders keep watch over our souls? What leaders oversee our souls? Well, again, the word elder is not used here, but I don't see how you can understand leaders who watch over your souls as anything other than elders who oversee and shepherd the flock of God. And what is the response that we are to give them? It says we are to obey and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your soul. Now, there are far too many leaders today who want to watch over every affair of every member in the congregation. They want us to oversee and have a hand in their finances and their wardrobe and their course of job, their, where they go for holidays, what hobbies they have, the convictions they have, the places they spend their money and every little thing. They want to have a hand in making every member of the congregation look like them. And that is wrong. The oversight the elder is to have is watching for your souls. It's hard for people who've been under such pastors to hear what Jesus says here and not be threatened by it. But Jesus says that elders are to be obeyed and submitted to because they watch for your souls. In other words, in their ministry of watching for your souls, in their ministry of oversight over Christ's flock, the elder has the responsibility to oversee and church members have the responsibility of submitting to that oversight of such elders. Now, here's a question. How can you tell whether or not the elder is actually watching for your soul, or whether he simply wants to make you a clone of himself? And the answer is given to you in the last phrase of the verse. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give and count. They watch for your souls as those who must give account. In other words, their attitude is not that a member of the congregation must give account of themselves to the elder. You're not accountable to that elder, is what Christ is saying. The attitude is that the elder, the elder's attitude isn't give account of yourself to me. The elder's attitude is I've got to give account of myself to Christ. In other words, he is a man under authority. The elder thinks of himself not as an authority over the flock. He thinks of himself as a man under the authority of Christ. And Christ is the one who stands over the flock. He recognizes that he stands in Christ's stead, that he is a man under the authority of Christ. He cannot be a dictator, therefore, because he is not the head of the church. He's an under-shepherd who gives account of himself to Christ, and that means that he doesn't domineer. Instead, he's an example. In other words, you've got to ask yourself, does he manifest and exemplify what it means to follow Christ in all the ways that he calls you to? Does he manifest genuine repentance and sorrow for his sins as he calls you to manifest the same? Or does he call you to do something he himself won't submit himself to do? Does he call you to submit to himself or does he call you to submit to Christ? Does he call you to value his work or does he call you to value Christ's work? Does he approach you on his own authority, or does he approach you on Christ's authority? Does he want you to be? Does he want? Does he want to be the center of the church, or does he labor to get out of the way so that Christ can be the center of the church? Does he want everyone in the church to look like him, or does he want everyone, including in the church, including himself, to look like Christ? Is he the first to exemplify what it means to submit to Christ, or does he simply call you to submit first? When you find an elder who uses his authority, I think this is the critical point here. When you find an elder who uses his authority to point you away from himself and towards Christ, that man is watching for your soul. He cares for your well-being, not his own. 
He wants you to find Christ to be the shepherd of your souls, not himself. He wants you to find the answer you need in Christ. And so a good pastor, a good elder, is like a signpost. He uses all of his authority to point you away from himself. That is an elder worth listening to. He's a man worth following. He's a man worth obeying because he will lead you to Christ. If he says to you, obey me, that's very different than if he says to you, by the authority of Christ, I command you. And there is much grace for you in submitting yourself to such elders because 1 Peter 5 says, Submit yourselves to the elders and be clothed with humility because God gives his grace to the humble. In other words, these men are supposed to be God's grace to you. Those who submit humbly to the elders' ministry receive God's grace. And so, in summation, elders operate under the authority of Christ spiritual health and well-being of the congregation when you find an elder or a body of elders like this in a church support them pray for them submit to them honor them they are christ's gift to his body so let's pray thank you lord for the elders that you have put over us in the past who have cared for our souls lord they have all been weak and failing men and in certain cases lord they have done great damage but in other cases they have done us more they've done us good done us spiritual good and lord i pray that you would grant us the faith in christ jesus the trust in christ to be able to respond to elders appropriately Lord God, we ask that you would send to us men who could shepherd our souls, who could teach the word of God to us, who would set the example humility and love, love for the people of God, who could set the example that Christ is the center of the church, not each person's brothers and own individual preferences. Lord, we pray that you would make your church strong through the ministry of men like this. We pray that you would give us grace this week to live our lives under Christ and his authority. Open up our Bibles to be taught of him. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us grace. The grace that comes by Christ's gift to give us men who will teach us the word as well. And we ask this in his name. Well, any questions?